0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talking About podcast. I am Sean Kennedy. I am not joined by my my usual co-host, Daniel Olinger. Um, as any of you who follow him on social media might already know, Daniel is no longer with Liberty Ballers. He is uh, very busy with his, his new scouting position at SIS Hoops, and... In addition, he has his uh, editor work at Northwestern. So with the school year getting going recently, he just, he had a lot on his plate. Um, He did leave the door open to return next summer. But uh, for now, we don't have uh, Daniel, unfortunately. So we we wish him the best of luck with everything going forward. Uh, Personally, I really enjoyed doing this with him each and every week over the past uh, year or so. So until then, um, I'm going to be getting on guests from both the Liberty Ballers site and, uh, outside outside the world of SB nation and try to bring on guests each week and, you know, just keep it varied and, keep up the good Sixers talk that you've come to expect here at the the Talking About pod. So this week, we are happy to welcome Tom West, who is an associate editor at Liberty Ballers. He has been on the pod before, and he is our UK correspondent. So always, always glad to have some uh, perspective from across the pond. So Tom, welcome to the pod. Thanks for joining us.
1: Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. back on again.
0: Absolutely. So Tom, uh, I wanted to get started with You've been doing a, a film fix series for us at the site, just looking back at the 2020-21 season and some of the, the best plays and some of the best areas of growth for for some of the Sixers on the roster. And I, I wanted to highlight this because with everything going on with Simmons right now and the the trade saga, it there's a real negative cloud over Sixers basketball right now. And additionally, the Way the season ended with the Hawks loss and not reaching the expectations that the team had set for themselves and that the fan base had um come to expect as a as the number one seed in what looked like a pretty wide open eastern conference. Um, but there there were good times last year. Uh (laughs) the team was the the number one seed in the east, and a a lot of great things happened. They had an MVP runner-up in Joel Embiid, so uh, I, I know Sixers basketball is kind of a, uh, a trigger for a lot of people out there with just a lot of frustration and disappointment, but uh, yeah, there, there were a lot of things to love. So I, I do like that your, your film fix series has been highlighting those. Um, is is that kind of the reasoning why I, I know you did this last summer as well, but uh, just kind of like, what is that? Did that play into why you, you wanted to do these things to just kind of keep the positivity up at all?
1: Yeah, definitely partly why I brought it back this year. I mean, last year, the main motivation was just to try and kind of do something a little fun, just kind of break down different things uh, with different Sixers players and stuff like, you know, in the, the long sort of off-season wait before uh, NBA came back. Um, but this year, yeah, it was definitely uh, partly because, yeah, like you said – there's been a lot of negativity uh, on Sixers Twitter and just with the general discussion around the team, you know, with the way the playoffs ended and really the whole kind of off season chatter has been taken over just by Ben Simmons trade stuff. And, you know, where's he going to go? Why is he still on the team? Like what are they going to trade him for and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, I just kind of wanted to like highlight some, some of the positive stuff because they were at things like you said, uh, there were a lot of different sort of developments with, uh, players already on the team um, and things to sort of get into there and i always like looking back through films yeah i was trying to just keep things positive and hopefully maybe take a few people's minds off ben simmons stuff
0: for uh, a little bit (laughs) yeah we could we could always use that we don't need to be mocking the off-season shooting videos that pop up and like uh trolling, uh, Ferrari, Instagram posts. Um, there's, we, we can, uh, we can kind of ignore that if we choose and, and focus on the, the good aspects of, uh, what has come to pass with the Sixers. Um, and, and one of the really great, uh, young players still on the roster is Matisse Theibel, who you highlight, the man is so good at defense. You did two separate film fixes, one to focus on his blocks and one to focus on his steals. Um, you know, starting with the blocks posts that you did, uh, Thibble was 19th in the entire NBA in blocks last season, and uh, as you pointed out, he was first in among players that were six foot seven and under. And uh, Sixers fans, I'm sure, were thrilled to see that um, Mikhail Bridges was number two, 20-minute um, 20, 20 Sixer Mikhail Bridges. Uh, so that that would have been a great defensive mm-hmm. wing pairing, but uh, we, we don't need to go into that. Uh, but yeah, uh, looking at some of the the highlights you posted. Uh, you started off your video with the the Devin Booker block in the corner where Theibel navigated around like four screens and then just appeared out of nowhere to, to reject that shot. And one of my favorites from last year was the, the play against Chicago where he both blocked and stole the ball in a two yeah. second span. Um, so I, just, just going destroy through Larry
1: Markkinen for a few <laughs> seconds. Yeah.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Markkinen. Was not aware that players could uh operate at at that yeah. speed. <laughs> it, it, it. So yeah, just going through it. What what were some of your your favorite plays? Looking back at uh at Thybul's sequences there, and I, I know you. And just going through what you wrote about in the piece, like what what is it about Thybul that just allows him to, I guess, be in seemingly two places at once, or to get halfway across the court in a split second. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's kind of, he kind of has every tool you'd want. I mean, if you were making the prototypical wing defender, I guess you could, you know, make him a couple of inches taller, but he really has everything. Like he's got good size. He has really good wingspan, so he has great reach. He's really fast, um, changes direction really quickly. He's always turned on, like his awareness is terrific. Um, Just the way he scans the floor. His anticipation. Obviously, he's got great timing. Like to get as many blocks as he does at the perimeter. Like you have to be able to catch players off guard sometimes and kind of lure them into thinking that they're safe to shoot. Um, like it's not hard to block as many. Sorry, it's very hard to block as many three pointers as he does. Um, but he he still manages to do it and just as well. Like um, I think I included one of the in the steals video. Like there's one. There was one player. I think it was against Washington. Um, where he kind of ran off the court after contesting a three, was about 10 feet off the court, kind of hung around as he drifted back onto the court and then just stole another pass because uh, the player assumed he was completely out of the way. And I think that kind of like lulling players into thinking they're safe and then just using all those physical tools in his anticipation to kind of fly around and just kind of cover more ground than like most wing players can, just kind of lets him be super disruptive. And it's, it's crazy to watch because... It was, you know, I thought maybe when he did so much as a rookie already, just in terms of his defensive playmaking, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think he might kind of just stay at that kind of level and maybe cool off a tiny bit if players kind of knew what his tricks were and kind of how he operated. But he was even better in year two, obviously, uh, more steals, more blocks, um, kind of controlled his gambling a little bit as well. Like he did not make as many uh, bad fouls and things like that. Um, kind of picking his spots a little bit more wisely. So I think all of that together just makes him, yeah, a hell of a lot of fun to watch.
0: Yeah, the players are so conditioned to, when they're running off these screens, if they get off them cleanly, they're, they're just in their mind, they're like, oh, I'm open. Like, I, I, I got the screen was set. I, I came off it and I rubbed directly off off the screener. So my man has to be caught on the screen. So I I I'm open now. I don't see the guy in front of me. And then they go up, and and suddenly Matisse has somehow gotten around the screen and closed the six foot distance in, in the blink of an eye. And he's you know swatting the shot away. And there he goes off off for a breakaway dunk or something. Um, yeah, it's and and you're right that we talked about uh two years ago with with Brett and Brett. Brown would say that uh, the biggest thing Matisse had to learn to do was to be, like, selectively uh, chaotic. And the, the fouls were a bit of a concern, but you just kind of wrote that off because he was a rookie and he was still learning the nuances of the NBA game and, and, and where to pick his spots and everything. But, yeah, he he not only decreased his, his fouls committed uh, this past year um, while playing about the same number of minutes, uh, he, you know, significantly upped his uh, defensive stats, as you, as you pointed out. So yeah, it was just really impressive the uh, the steps he made last season. Um, so yeah, we focused on his blocks. You also did a piece on his steals. So we should uh, point out those that he was uh, first among all NBA players in per 36 stats for both steals and deflections. Um, so. Uh, you mentioned the the coming out of bounds against Washington. Uh, he, he not only just jumps passing lanes, but he he's a great guy coming from behind and kind of poking it away. And and the fact that he he he's figured out how to do that perfectly without fouling most of the time is is incredible. Um, it was it was fun seeing him in the in the Olympic Games this past summer. That uh, they they call it a little less they allow guys to be a little more physical than the NBA game. So, so seeing guys get locked up by Matisse when he had a little bit more leeway to to like get, get in their grill and, and body them up a bit more that really helped his steel game. Um, So he had quite a few, like five steel, four or five steel games in the Olympics. Um, I I couldn't imagine if he had the similar leash with the NBA rules and everything. Um, I don't, did, did you get, I don't know how much of the Olympic games you had a chance to watch, Tom. Not as much as I wanted
1: to, just because over here with the BBC, like there wasn't as much coverage this year and they didn't put on, because I think the coverage rights had changed from previous Olympics. So we couldn't pick any sport and then go of and flick between them all. So they didn't put on the basketball as much as I'd have liked. Um, so it was tricky for me to watch much, but I did see little bits. And yeah, like you said, just having a little bit more leeway with how the rules are. And with international basketball, like he is so disruptive. I know he had that great block on uh, Kevin Durant as well, I think. Um, and yeah, it, it would be it'd be crazy if he could kind of play with a little bit more freedom in the NBA because pretty much the best case scenario, if Dybal is guarding you, is trying to kind of to bait him into fouls. Like you're not going to get by him easily off the dribble. You know, he's going to contest your jump as well. So if you can make him foul you, that's kind of, you know, that's a good result for an attacker. But yeah, if he if it's uh, harder to draw fouls, then Thibault can be even more disruptive. So, yeah, it was it was fun to watch him in that setting whenever I could.
0: Yeah, that would if if we were to pick nits, that would be the one area of improvement we would wish for him going forward on the defensive end. Uh, definitely had a few costly fouls in in the postseason last year, um, but on the whole, a lot of great strides made by Matisse last year. Um, so, I, I think if a Simmons trade were to go down, you would, unless it was for an absolute stu- superstar where they insisted on Matisse, you would you'd absolutely want to keep him around to kind of help fill the, uh, the defensive void that, that Simmons leaving would leave. Um, so yeah, great, great uh, sophomore season from Matisse last year. And it was fun to uh, take a look back at some of his best plays in your posts there. Um, another one, one to look at was uh, Joel Embiid and you, you highlighted his shooting from his, his MVP runner up season. Uh, as you pointed out in the piece, he was third in mid range shots made last year. And uh, he made a, at a 49.1% clip, which among the guys who took a few mid range shots a game, he was sixth out of 34. So pretty impressive stuff for a seven footer. Um, Daniel and I on the pod at the beginning of last season, uh, he was, he was wondering how, how the Sixers offense could be so like Embiid centric, whether there was room for regression or whatever. And I said, well, he's going hit, to keep hitting half the shots. Uh, so I don't <laughs> think we, we really need to worry about that. And I was like 10% joking because no one could really guarantee that Joel would continue to be absolutely one of the, the most elite shooters in the NBA, but to his credit, he did it. And that was that was a big reason uh why he was the runner-up for the MVP award last year and uh as, as you you astutely uh analyzed it was a big reason why he was able to continue to draw as many fouls as he did because with with guys having to respect his shot um they're not able to you know they, they really have no option as far as how do you defend Joel. Like, if you get up in his face, he can he can back you down and, and draw fouls or whatever else. And then if you leave him open, you're just going to hit those. So do, do, I guess, do you see any way defenders can stop Joel Embiid? Because uh, <laughs> I sure don't. <laughs> no, like you said, he has a counter for everything now.
1: Um, like, I think at one point, his mid-range efficiency, I think it was around halfway through the season, it was still at like 56% or something absolutely insane um it's still crazy how efficient he was by the end of the year but yeah just his his shot making from mid-range like going up a whole level was so useful because yeah like you said if you play him too closely he'll get fouls like he can just do that sweep move swing his arms and draw fouls so easily if you play too close you know he can also drive past you or just bully you so you really can't do anything and i think when he is forced into mid-range whether it's know he can't get by his man or if he you know only has a few seconds left from the shot clock and he's just trying to create a bit more space i think just how well he used you know different moves from mid-range whether he was you know he did that sort of Dirk one-legged fadeaway quite a few times um he did hit quite a few step backs like his ability to create space you know in traffic was really impressive as well and i think that was just another weapon for him again to kind of get a bit more space operate better from mid-range and just have, like, yes, another counter against defenders who are already pretty hopeless trying to stop him. So I think with all that together, yeah, there's really not much you can do. I think I'll be interested to see how we can maintain that same shooting next season. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if the efficiency dips a little bit just because it was so good last year. But I I think, you know, with his... Because I think he kind of improved his efficiency everywhere. Like, his free-throw shooting, his three-point shooting, his mid-range shooting was all up. Um, so his touch has clearly kind of come a long way um, so I think if you factor all that in it, you know it could be relatively sustainable even if there's a little bit of a cool off so yeah I don't know how you defend Impede at this point
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm glad uh, it's not something we have to worry about for sure uh, but if if anything I think there might be not not specifically his mid-range shooting, but his his overall shooting profile, uh, he improved a lot from the three-point line last year, and then he got even better in the postseason. Uh, so it's something he's continuously improved as his career has progressed. So I, I I actually do think that there's room for him to maybe up the volume and increase his efficiency a little bit more from behind the arc, which would, you know, his overall true shooting percentage would see a boost even if his, his mid range, you know, slightly regressed a bit. Um, But yeah, it's, the guy's a savant. I mean, he, he watches film and just like he's a sponge. He incorporates it into his game. You, you brought up the the Dirk shot, which uh, definitely came in handy when he was playing on one leg uh, with his, his bad knee towards the end of last season. Um, Because Hey, the Dirk shot, you only need one knee. So that was, (laughs) That, that came in handy like he's he, he's whipped out the dream shake like the the, the man does it all is it's really incredible to watch um, so it's it's uh it's frustrating that the team's other star is unable to also incorporate those kind of shooting things into his game uh but we're we're glad we have the one uh, the centerpiece here for the Sixers that is able to do it um all right so Uh, Aside from Joel, the the other guy you highlighted in uh, one of your film fixes was Tyrese Maxey. You also wrote about him in our our player profile series for the site. And uh, Maxey's a, he might be the number one guy to watch for the Sixers heading into the season. Um, I think the kind of assumption at the beginning of the offseason was that he might be included in the Simmons deal because... If they were going to get back at a Dame Lillard, like Maxi would be a sweetener to to help the Sixers, uh, you know, bridge that value gap between somebody like Dame and somebody like Ben. Um, but but now I think with that, the, and this is something you you wrote about in the profile, and I and I agree is with those kind of stars, Lillard, Beale, those types seemingly off the table, and the Sixers are looking at, you know, more bridge deals where you bring in uh, guys that aren't quite at the same value as Simmons, but you, you get a bunch of picks so that you can still stay in the mix. If Lillard or Beale or somebody else does become available at the trade deadline, you have, you know, the war chest of assets to, to make a, a, a competitive offer. Um, if you're looking at something like that, then you absolutely would not include Maxine in a deal because presumably you would have the best player, uh, currently that would be involved in, in such a transaction. So why would you need to also include Maxi, who would is a hugely positive asset uh, due to his, to his growth we saw in, in year one and his favorable contract as a guy on a rookie deal that was selected in the twenties and, you know, everything else. So, you know, Max, Max is a guy that if Simmons is dealt away, he could be the starting point guard uh, potentially next year. So it, it really was good to take a look at, you know, all the the progress he made last year and uh, his, his shooting profile improved. Um, and then you, you brought up how it even increased even more in summer league, the couple of games he played when he, his volume really went up. He started doing a lot of off the dribble shots uh, that we hadn't seen previously. Um, and his, his defense also improved uh, from the beginning of last season to the end uh which was something doc rivers pointed out was a reason he was able to trust him more as part of the playoff rotation was because uh the defense just hadn't been there for him at the beginning of the year and by the end it was um so tom i guess you know we we can discuss more of the the intricate details of you know improvements he made but if if maxi if there was a situation where maxi was to be the starter do you think that's that's viable for the Sixers next season I think
1: it. I think it is in the sense that, obviously, if that would happen, it would be because Ben Simmons been traded. So, at that point, let's say you're probably bringing in, well, you have to bring in a better shooting than Ben Simmons. You're not going to get worse spacing from another ball handler. So, in that sense, I think even though defenders aren't going to super respect uh, Maxi's three ball, I think you probably have the space to be able to do that. Um, and I, I do kind of, I honestly think he would be up for that challenge. Um it would be a big ask just given, you know, he's still, you know, such a young player, and just coming into a second season. And last year obviously was different in that, you know, there was no summer league beforehand, short training camp, like there wasn't as much practice through the year, even though Maxi put in like an absolute tonne of time by himself to train, like he still had to learn a lot of things on the fly. So, you know, he still has, you know, more things to learn, obviously, like schematic stuff and whatnot. But, um, I, I think I do think Maxi could kind of step up into that role. Obviously, depending on the other ball handlers potentially that the Sixers bring, and I do think Maxi could do that. I just think, like we can get into the improvements and stuff, but I think he already showed, you know, a lot last year over the last couple of months of the season as he improved. And I think if you factor in him kind of growing more next uh, next season, which I believe he will, I'm sure he'll come back better after a, a good off season. Um, and having more time to work on his game. Like you mentioned, the, the three-point shooting in Summer League was was encouraging to see just how many he was willing to take off the dribble. Um, that's kind of the biggest piece he's missing, is just that reliable pull-up jumper to kind of you know, catch off defenders when they do go under screens against him to try and push him away from his drives and his floaters. If he can add any more of that, I think that's the main thing he's probably missing. So I think playmaking-wise would be the main challenge um, for him to step into more of a league guard role. But I do think... I do think he'd have a shot at taking on
0: that role and actually doing fairly well. Yeah, the, the th- you know the three point shot is is definitely the the last piece for him being like a three level scorer. He he came into the league with the floater, which was highly advanced, um, and that's something that a lot of players never get down over the course of their whole career. I mean, that's that's a really advanced shot that he has um, from the mid range there. And it it takes a a certain kind of special touch and ability to navigate angles, and uh, that you know, just not everybody's able to do. Um, And then we also, he always seemed to have a a great feel for uh, those kind of full speed running bank shots um, as he drove to the basket. Uh, And then as the year progressed, which was something you mentioned, he was able to, you know, start getting all the way to the rim a little bit more, which which was good to see. Um, but yeah, the the three point shot is it. It's clearly the next uh, and the next step that he needs to take t- to be that complete three level scorer. And and we did see it in summer league, which which was great. Um, yeah, the playmaking. It's interesting. Like, is he going to be, you know, the quote unquote true point guard, or is he going to be like the 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 microwave guy who can. You know, score at will and do everything you need to do to get buckets. But you know, he's not going to be the the true run the offense type. Um, I, I know you mentioned he that that's definitely an area for improvement. Um, based on you know the film you watched and everything, were there signs that he did start developing that aspect of his game over the past year? I think he did a bit. Yeah, I think
1: it's still something to keep working on moving forward. Um... I know that's something that, you know, Doc and Tyrese both mentioned last season. Um, but, yeah, no, I do think he did. I think, I mean, he his turnovers were really low, um, especially for a rookie. Like that was impressive. Um, he just his, his assist to turnover rate, um, especially late in the season, was really good. Um, he doesn't force too many bad reads. Like he doesn't make too many really advanced reads. Like you're not going to be seeing him making tons of, you know, crazy skip passes and things out of pick and rolls and just really contorting defenses with his passing, but he still makes some pretty good reads. Like he can make some skip passes, you know, on the move, when he gets downhill, we can make some sort of nifty dump off passes around the basket. Um, And yeah, he doesn't force too much stuff. Like he doesn't make too many bad decisions, which is encouraging. Um, So I'd still have questions about him being a kind of lead playmaker. um, If that was kind of his role as, as point guard. But I think if you have... I mean, I have no idea what the Sixers could get for Ben Simmons yet. Like, we don't know what the team's going to look like, but if you have another guy, you can sort of pair with him in the backcourt, who also offers a bit of playmaking and you can kind of use the two together, then that would be really useful. I think that's kind of the better scenario, rather than just asking Maxi to be the the lead uh, point guard, the lead playmaker and then just have kind of complementary pieces around him, uh, as well as Embiid and obviously Tobias. Um, But yeah, no, I do think there was some progression there and yeah, I'd expect him to keep sort of growing that area of his game next season. Just again, because I think he works hard enough. He studies so much film. There was progression there already, and I think just if you just give him some time and a bit more time to get used to the NBA, I think that will sort of keep coming along.
0: Yeah, no one has ever disputed uh, Tyrese's work ethic. He's he's come in from a day one with an absolutely positive attitude, and you know, as as you just said, that he didn't have a rookie off season really. Um, So this was his first true off season. They they gave him the the couple games in summer league and working with the, uh, the summer league team to, you know, take on that role of, Hey, you're going to be the guy that is the playmaker and run the offense. And, you know, we'll continue to see how he looks in that role throughout training camp and the preseason when uh, he starts facing a a higher level of competition than you would face in, in Vegas. But uh, yeah, there's, there's, you know, as we bring up these questions and kind of, you know, nitpick areas of his game, you know, just keep in mind that everything has been highly encouraging from Tyrese Maxey and uh, you're talking about a guy in, a, in his second league who was a younger prospect in the draft or his second year in the league and uh, was a younger prospect in the draft to begin with came in under, you know, circumstances that had never been seen in the, in the league before because we'd never been trying to get a season undergoing while a global pandemic was going on before uh and you know he's he's kind of cleared every bar you would hope that he would at this stage of his career so yeah just uh hopefully he continues to do so and the Sixers uh you know keep him in house and they're able to you know have a long and a prosperous career together um one other young guy who who participated in summer league and you recently did a, a profile on the site was uh, Isaiah Joe, who, you know, didn't play as much of a role with the Sixers last year as Maxie did, uh, which was to be expected. He was a second round pick, whereas Maxie was a first round pick. And uh, so, so Joe spent a lot more time in Delaware, but he did. Uh, and you, you highlighted in your, your profile that there there was a stretch in January last year when they were a little bit, struck by injuries and uh joe Joe started actually being a a semi-regular part of the rotation um and he he showed you a lot to like um he's really a high volume three-point shooter which especially last year with with simmons on the roster and uh that's incredibly valuable just a a guy who can be an elite four spacer and uh really has range from like 28 feet which that, that added couple line, the, up a couple feet out to uh, what the Sixers dubbed their four-point line when they, they put that, that four-point line up a couple feet beyond the arc at the practice facility. Um, so I, I have a feeling Joe spends a lot of time at the four-point line there. Um, he, he's a guy that just really opens up stuff for the offense. And not only that, but as, as you mentioned he in their profile, that he, he, he looked a lot better as a rookie than you would have expected on the defensive end. Um, and he, he had the, uh, the honorary Ursan Ilyusova belt for taking charges probably on the team last year, Yeah, <laughs> uh, just really should good instincts for that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What are your expectations going into the season for Joe? Because unlike Maxi, who you could see a situation where he's potentially starting if, if Simmons is dealt and they br- don't bring back a point guard in the deal, Joe doesn't really have a clear path to minutes. Like they brought back both Danny Green and Furkan Korkmaz um, to kind of fill those wing that wing position, and uh, you know Seth Seth Curry is still penciled in as a starter, and you just don't know, barring injuries, r- really when he's going to see the court to on a consistent basis. But uh, yeah, I don't know. You know what? Do you, what do you see for Joe going forward?
1: Yeah, I think it's tricky because, like you said, the Sixers are kind of filled out their wing positions fairly well by keeping Green and Korkmaz. Um, And I think if the Sixers do trade Simmons for, you know, a bunch of picks and maybe a couple of role players, I think, you know, it's quite likely those are going to be guards and wings, Um, or at least ideally that would be the case for the Sixers, in which case, if they add even more vets on the wing, I think it, it does become tricky for, for Isaiah Joe to kind of get minutes. Um, But I think, you know, at least with the team right now, and depending on who they bring back, and what positions they're at. I do think he can compete and I think he'd at least be ready for a few more minutes if if he can get them. Um, I think he can at least kind of compete around the court miles level of the rotation. Um, Mainly because like you said, I think his defensive tools are good. Like court miles has improved on that end, you know, through his career he's kind of made gradual improvements there, but Joe definitely does have an edge just with his kind of quickness uh, on the ball He's competitive there, even though he's, he's got a skinny build. Um, and I think his instincts were just really sharp for a rookie, like his rotations, kind of just his awareness of knowing where to be and when, and and he had some kind of nice help rotations just kind of coming under the basket and deterring opponents on cuts and drives and stuff. Um, I think a lot of that stuff is is better than you'd expect for a rookie, and I know that's something that Doc Rivers talked about a bit last year when Joe did, did get playing time. Um, his defence in particular impressed uh, Doc, so... I think if if you factor in him maybe being a better defender than Miles and obviously maintaining the shooting ability, which, you know, like you said, you know, he, he can shoot from, you know, a few feet beyond the arc, like he's, he's really good off movement. He's incredibly confident. Like from day one, he was happy to just let it fly as a rookie, um, which is exactly what the Sixers need. So I think I could, I could see him being, I, th- I can see him being good enough basically to play more minutes. I'm just not sure he'll get them if the Sixers do get a couple more vets back. And, those are the guys that Doc would probably preference. So it kind of depends on how the rotation shakes out, but I do think he'll be ready to do more
0: if possible. Yeah, it's it's going it, to, it is tricky, and but uh, everything is very much up in the air with the Sixers roster. Uh, we don't know how many pieces will be involved in an eventual Ben Simmons deal. And yeah, maybe a spot opens up and... As you said, Joe looks poised to uh, seize any opportunity that comes his way, especially after a good summer league showing as well, where he was, you know, he wasn't quite maxi level too good for summer league, but he definitely looked like one of the better players on the court in the games that he participated in and uh, showed off some uh, increased playmaking skills that we hadn't really seen before from him. So, um, you know, another, another arrow up for, for Isaiah Joe, who, is another, uh, recent Sixers draft pick that, uh, has performed above slot, I would say. So just given the track record of the Sixers front office in the draft recently, you have to be, uh, you know, hopeful that the guys they selected this year, or at least Jaden Springer, um, should be able to help the team somewhere down the road, um, because it seems like they know what they're doing when evaluating prospects. Um, all right. So we've, We've been very positive for over a half hour now. Um <laughs> so I, I think it's probably time to to level things out by by discussing the the Ben Simmons situation, which is the the overwhelming topic of the Sixers offseason right now. Um, you know, in the past few weeks. Simmons and and just to preface this for the listeners, I'm gonna say like Simmons said things, but it generally means that Simmons is representation said them or that a brian windhorse type reported that a simmons camp has been saying things but just for the simplicity of the discussion i'm just going to say like simmons said them even though we didn't never actually heard the words come out of simmons's mouth but just wanted to mention that so um, but in the past few weeks uh, simmons has said that he wants to be traded he's not reporting to training camp and also in the last few days it's not his job to increase his trade value basically implying that he's not going to report to camp just to help grease the wheels of a trade and he he wouldn't be like he's not going to play the first 10 games of the regular season and average uh 12 8 and 8 or whatever so that teams are reminded that he is one of the Better players in the league, and he is an All Star and everything else. Just just to help the, the Sixers get a better return, so um, that that pretty humorously led to uh, Shaq and Charles Barkley kind of dunking on him on a on a recent uh, around the NBA pod where where Shaq basically said, "Ben, you're not that good. Like, don't you're not in a position where you sh- should really be saying these kind of things." Um, so i don't like at this point i've gone from ben simmons should only be traded if they're getting a star in return to just make sure you get enough picks to keep you in the running if a star becomes available later i'm just exhausted by the whole thing i just want to discuss basketball players in philadelphia that want to be playing in philadelphia and and kind of move on from this situation uh so tom you're you're a little more removed from it you're not around the Philadelphia area to be hearing a lot of the discussions that are going on. But, you know, you are ensconced in Sixers Twitter. So I, I imagine you still get a fair bit of it uh, via social media and everything else. But uh, what are, what's what are your feelings currently on the whole the whole saga?
1: Yeah, no, I do. Uh, yeah, I definitely see plenty of Ben Simmons <laughs> right frustration. frustration. Um... Yeah, I think I'm kind of in a similar position to you. I think early in the off season when, you know, the idea was that they want to get a star return, which is obviously what they need. I was kind of similar in the sense that I thought, you know, trading Ben Simmons is kind of your best way to bringing that star guard in. Like you don't have, you're not going to have the money through free agency. You don't have anything more valuable that you're going to be trading. Like he is the best piece to send out in order to bring in that ideally high-level perimeter creator, you know, passer, scorer, shooter that you want next to Embiid and the rest of the team. Um, but earlier in the off-season, it looked like there might be the potential for that. You know, it seemed a bit more likely a while ago that Dame may actually be asking out. You know, there was at least the idea that, oh, maybe Zach Levine could become available or Bradley Bill could become available. But, you know, now the Bulls have made a bunch of moves They're so obviously setting their team. Dame, at least for now, seems to be kind of quite set on trying things out in Portland still. And obviously, Bill, we've not heard anything to indicate that he is eager to ask out. In which case, with no stars on the market, like the Sixers don't really have any amazing options out there to get that guy, that kind of high level creator right now. In which case, I think, you know, we maybe some one of those will come available in the season, like stars do become available, like it happens. The Sixers just want to keep themselves positioned to do so. So I think if you can move Simmons now, kind of reset the team a bit, get him out of there because the situation is obviously not working for anyone right now, um, I don't necessarily see him playing and then suddenly drastically raising his value. Um, if you can trade him, I think, for role players well, yeah, and you know guys that can at least contribute now, even if they're not as good as Simmons, and then bring in a bunch of picks, I think that's kind of the package that the Sixers need to look at. Um, the issue there is then obviously, you know, they are going to be downgrading for the regular season. Like it's important to remember that I know Sixers fans are angry, but like Ben Simmons is still really good. And if they're trading him now, it's not going to be for a star or probably for any individual player who is, you know, single-handedly better than Simmons, in which case, you know, they might be getting worse for the, for the short term. Um, you know, they're going to miss his defense a lot. Like he's still bringing so many things to the table. Um, through the regular season, like, they will miss that. But I think if, you know, they need to move on, I think going for the kind of pick-heavy package is the best way that they can kind of add even more assets to the the sort of treasure chest and then kind of stay open if a star does ask out, you know, in the season. And then they'll have, you know, the young guys like, you know, Thibel, Maxi, ideally they keep him, but, you know, Maxi. And then, you know, even more picks to kind of play with when a star does... Or if they do become available, I think that's probably the way to go right now. Just with the kind of options that are available to them on the market and the teams that are interested in trying to trade for Simmons.
0: Yeah, I mean, you said to remind like Simmons is still a very good player. I know Sixers fans don't want to hear it, and especially in the regular season, um, you know, in the past Simmons's struggles have mostly been postseason when when defenses tighten up and you have a seven game series to kind of, you know, really study the film and diagnose the ideal ways to stop your opponents. That that's when Simmons's flaws really become magnified Um, in the regular season. Like he's a, he's a a huge floor raiser. Like when you're Detroit's coming in on the, for a second, uh, their second game in two nights or something. And, Simmons is running up and down the court in transition and, and wrecking havoc on the defensive end. Like he, he's a huge difference maker. Um, and the, six, the Sixers are, if they do trade him prior to the season, they're, they're going to miss having, having him available for the regular season. Like, I don't think barring something extreme, like suddenly them trading for Dame as part of a Simmons package, which no one expects anymore. Like I, they're, they're definitely going to be a worse regular season team, I think, than they were last year with, with yeah, Simmons' yeah, departure. I exactly. So I, I think you just have, as a Sixers fan, you just have to come to terms with, well, look, Milwaukee's the defending champs. Brooklyn is, you know, arguably the most talented team in the league, and they made significant strides to flush out the back end of their rotation, adding guys like Patty Mills, Paul Millsap, et cetera, that, they they look to be the, the odds-on favorite to come out of the East. Like, hey, maybe the Sixers just can't be thinking we have to maximize our chances in the regular season of of finishing at, atop the East, and we just got to salvage the Simmons situation to the best of our ability to set ourselves up as as good as we can for the future. And that's not to say you're throwing the season away. You're going to try to make a deal that that keeps you right you know, somewhere in the three to six range in the East and but but then you're still getting those picks to keep yourself competitive for the future, whether that's through having the the assets to make that, that trade for a star that becomes available or you can use those, those picks down the road or either yourself or as part of another trade to improve your roster down the road. So it's, it's just not a situation where you're not going to trade Simmons and, and be a better team for it in in, in the short term. Like you, you have to, as Sam Hickey would say, take the longest view in the room with with this whole thing. And uh, at this point there's, there's not a real clear path to how they would do that, which is probably the most frustrating thing, just because uh, the, the disconnect between Simmons's value and the offers that are seemingly available is is pretty wide at this point and that's making it tough for daryl Morey to navigate that that situation um so we'll see what happens but but we we do want to mention two teams that have been kind of linked to, to simmons strongly recently um you know teams have come and gone all all offseason obviously portland originally with mccollum and that didn't seem like enough for the sixers and then lillard is not going anywhere so it seems like the Sixers don't have enough to get Lillard at this point so they're off the table the Warriors were, were linked at one point but it seems like they were never really interested in getting involved for the type of package Daryl was looking for um, but but two teams have been strongly linked in recent days uh, that's Cleveland and Minnesota both teams that uh you know didn't make the playoffs last season towards the bottom of the standings. So Simmons would definitely represent a, a floor raiser for them to maybe help them leap up into that back of the playoff picture hunt. Uh, So that would be appealing to those, those franchises. And uh, from the Sixers perspective, like if those teams sent back a bunch of picks, those would be more valuable than if say a golden state sent you future picks where you expect golden state to be, among the better teams in the league if they stayed healthy and everything else. Um, Tom, what, what were your thoughts on, on those two destinations as a, as a trade partner for the Sixers? And do you have a preference for if they had to do a deal with one of those two teams, whether it would be Cleveland or Minnesota, which you would prefer?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's tricky because it's still unclear entirely what pieces would be on the table from both of those teams. I think in terms of an individual player, I think the Cavs are the most interesting because, um, just because of their their two guards, I think if you can get Darius Garland or Colin Sexton, um, I'd maybe lean Garland just for the better playmaking. Um, you can get a new creator in that can help offensively. Um, they're going to fit better than Simmons in that regard, at least, even though they're not as good overall as he is. Um, you know, they can both give you a bit more driving, a bit more creation, um, just some general kind of scoring punch and the kind of perimeter creation that was missing last year. Obviously, you know, Maxi helped and, and Tobias took a step forward, um, which was really helpful, but they're, they're, that's they're still the main thing that they're missing. So that's intriguing. And then I think um, the Timbulls based on, you know, our friends at the Gastro and Therese's Blues podcast, I uh, had uh, John Krasinski on from The Athletic and he was saying that, Right now, it seems like the Timberwolves are kind of the most uh, aggressive team in the market for Ben Simmons. Um, they're not necessarily close to a deal with terms of what the Sixers would like in return. But if they are, you know, the most interested team, then potentially that at least could lead to them offering more. And I think they do have some pieces that are intriguing, like Jaden McDaniels is a good young player that I think would be really good for the Sixers, just giving them some kind of athletic defence and size. Um as another backup forward that would be really useful for them. Um, I really like his potential. And then obviously you've got like Malik Beasley who could bring some more kind of uh, helpful shooting and kind of uh, operate off uh, movement and stuff. And then, you know, Patrick Beverly, for instance, like another guard who could help kind of complementary piece, you know, spotting up as a shooter, a little bit of complementary ball handling, and then obviously some point of attack defense. Um, so I could see the Timberwolves putting together kind of a package of kind of multiple players and picks that would be intriguing. But I think, yeah, it's just it's just hard to know like how, how good these offers are going to be. Um, if you can get a Cavs package with, you know, one of their star guards, you know, another player or two as Filler and then some picks, I think that would probably be the way to go. But it's just tricky depending on exactly how badly these teams want Simmons. But like you said, you know they do have they both have motive for wanting him. Like he's still a really good player, they're both teams that would like to make the playoffs. Um, and he could kind of help raise their floor in that regard. So I think they both have some interesting things at least that they could offer.
0: Yeah, I think um in in regard to Darius Garland, I, I think if he was made available, that's a deal the Sixers would do in an instant. Yeah. Um, but all you know, all the indications have been that Garland is kind of off the table. you, you know, he's a guy that was involved in team USA workouts. He's, he's really young. He has a a great three point shot looks to be, you know, developing as a, as a lead playmaker really well and uh, still has one or two years left on his rookie deal. Uh, So he's very cost effective for a franchise that, you know, is looking, taking the long view as far as the rebuild like Cleveland is. So I, I, I don't see him being made available sexton i I think there definitely could be something to be worked out there um, because he he would be the odd man out um if they build around garland as as their one um but a couple things give me pause with sexton yes he is he is a very good offensive player continues to improve he's a good spot up three-point shooter which would be helpful Um, but he's he's not a good defensive player by any means and I'd be worried like if you get into the playoffs, if you're having him as one of your main pieces, you know, that that feels like it'd be a situation that would be exploited by opposing teams in the playoffs. Um, and you're going to have to make a decision on this contract. So he he's due to get yeah. an extension soon. So either you you bring him on with the idea that like, hey, this is a really good young player that a lot of teams in the league would be interested in and we could trade him for something. But if you're not able to do that, or if you're not doing this initial deal with that in mind, then you're going to have to end up paying him a lot of money. And then suddenly he's locked in as part of your core. And, and that goes back to my, my initial concern where you have this, this guy making a lot of money as part of your core that if the postseason rolls around, he's not, he's not a valuable two-way player. And, and that just, that just gives me pause. So I don't know. I, I think, it would be fine if there was a deal that came back with Sexton as the return centerpiece and a bunch of picks um, because I, I still think that would give you great flexibility. I, I think there are like, if a star like Beal or whoever was made available, you could send Sexton back as the main guy and another team would probably be okay with that um, because he does have bring a lot to the table and he is an improving offensive player and, and young, and there's a lot to be excited about with regard to him, but yeah, I just, I don't know that, that that'd be tricky because then that kind of puts you on the clock as far as you either got to deal him again, or this is going to be the guy that's that's part of your franchise for the next six to eight years. And I, I'm just not ready to push my chips in on Colin Sexton being that guy. Um, Minnesota. Yeah. It's like the Sixers have no interest in D'Angelo, D'Angelo Russell uh, reportedly, which I agree with. I I don't think he's, I don't really think he's much of a net positive player. He's not a good defender. He doesn't draw free throws at a high rate. I, I don't, I don't think he really would help the team, uh, substantially. Um, so if you're getting back someone like Jaden McDaniels as, or if McDaniels is your best young player you're getting back in the deal, yeah, he, he could be good. His, he has a lot of tools that you, you like, but, it's very unproven, very raw. I don't know how much he would help you in the short term. And obviously guys like Beverly and, and Beasley would be, you know, helpful pieces, but I do not they're not guys that I'd be like, okay, I feel good about them being in the starting lineup for, for a postseason team. Uh, so I don't know whether that sort of deal would be very helpful in the short term. Um, I think the team would take a, a significant step back from where they were last year. So it would just have to be with Minnesota. Like, how many picks are they willing to give up? Like, if they're willing to give up two picks and two swaps, maybe you think about it because then that's a pretty good arsenal to to go into a trade uh, discussion later in the year if a star else become available. If you have that kind of package available to throw in, so I don't know. It, it is very tricky. Um, we're not sure. <laughs> we're not sure exactly what, what Daryl wants, like what he's willing to concede to in a deal. He, he, he asked for the moon to begin with, and, and no one was willing to, uh, even come close to the, the sort of things he was asking for. So we're just not sure how far he's willing to come down from his, his demands in a and zeal So it makes it tricky to, uh, to navigate where, where we think this will end up. But, um, Tom, I, I, did appreciate you joining the pod this week. Um, it was good to, to have some positive Sixers talk for at least uh, 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of it this year. And, and training camp is less than three weeks away. How, how, does that feel weird to you? Are you ready for another Sixers basketball season? Um, or, or, or are you just in disbelief that we're, we're that close to, to more Sixers basketball? I'm get,
1: I'm uh I'm almost there to be re- being ready I think like I was quite enjoying the off season and just sort of switching off from basketball for a while like I've I've been offline more this summer like not been on Twitter as much it's been quite nice to kind of just switch off more uh but yeah now that training camp is getting close and maybe this Simmons trade is finally going to happen relatively soon and we can just of like, move on from all of that and just focus on basketball again. Uh, I'm kind of, I'm yeah, I'm getting more ready now. I'm kind of looking forward to things starting up again. I'll enjoy the next couple of weeks, and then yeah, we'll
0: uh, we'll try and get back into it all and, and, and see what happens. Yeah, there's there's gonna be the the day or two when the the trade happens and it's just complete chaos, and then we're all gonna be relaxed for a while, and then the regular season's gonna start, and Simmons is gonna be putting up like 18, 8, and ten every night for some team like cleveland where he can just have the ball in his hands at all times and uh then the the other half of the sixers fan base is the the staunch simmons defenders are, are gonna be like oh daryl traded them for peanuts what a what a franchise ruining move so then then we'll have that to to be anxious about um so i'm, I'm not looking forward to that because you know it's coming but, uh, yeah, uh, yeah it's hundred percent coming. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare yourselves now listeners. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Sixers basketball a few weeks away. Uh, it, it will be good to see those, those guys back out on the court, but, uh, until then we will be back next week. I'll have another guest on the talking about podcast, Tom, thank you for, for joining us this week in the, uh, the inaugural episode of the new format with me as the the new the new host here uh, without Daniel. So appreciate you coming on, and uh, we hope to have you back on the pod again soon.
1: Yeah, of course, anytime. I appreciate you having me on.
0: All right, take care, everybody. We will talk to you next week.